The government has declared its intention to use new information technologies and to further share data in order to make the public service more efficient. This Radio New Zealand Insight considers if individuals should be concerned about how their personal details are being handled by the state. To some people, the idea they're being monitored, tracked or analysed by the state causes great discomfort. To others, the idea that their information is being shared is just part and parcel of the new technological environment. But whatever an individual's response is to the government's use and storage of their private information, rapid change is underway. The government wants to use new technologies as part of its drive towards greater efficiencies in delivering public service. We want to deliver for all New Zealanders better results and at the moment I think they're not getting the results that they actually deserve. Network devices such as smartphones, desktop and tablet computers are proliferating and the use of social media is becoming an everyday activity. The Finance Minister, Bill English, says the government has to keep in step with how citizens are running their lives. We've got a number of particular reasons for inquiring into these issues. Uh, one is so people can interact more easily with government the way they can with a lot of other institutions. The second one is the ability to aggregate large amounts of data could help us get a better understanding of how to make our interventions more effective. We know a lot about some people, not much about others. Most New Zealanders, one way or another, getting government service or income support, and we're still at a very high level asking the question, how can we use these tools so we can use our funding better to get, to get better results? I'm Philippa Tolley, and this insight considers the challenges and opportunities created by new ways of accessing, sharing, storing or tracking the information individuals provide to the state. The potential of computers to bring information together for a range of uses has been known for decades, but the scale of that processing ability is increasing exponentially. The trend provides the government with opportunities for greater targeting of services, more efficient access to and use of information, and cost-cutting opportunities. But those developments reinforce the need for the government to safeguard the information it holds. An international IT security expert, Bruce Schneier, says citizen trust is imperative. Mr Schneier, who is the Chief Security Technology Officer at British Telecom, says the relationship between the state and the individual can run into trouble if private details are not treated with care. If people don't trust who they're giving information to, they're not going to give the information or give it wrong. We have to trust government because they are our agents in so many things. We uh, trust them to, to handle our information with care, with respect, and we trust that they'll do with it what they say they will and they won't do anything else with it, and, and that's essential. Electronic government is the introduction and use of information and communication technology. The professor of so-called e-government at Victoria University's School of Government, Marian Lips, specialises in information sharing between government agencies and identity management. She says a move toward greater technological interaction between citizen and the state is unstoppable. But it's not to say, particularly not um, on the shorter term, that, it, uh, that electronic channels will completely replace what we have now. Personally, I see a more 
evolutionary development where governments uh, start using multiple channels in their relationships with citizens. Besides what we are familiar with, face-to-face channels and paper-based channels, we more and more see channels uh, being operated uh, on the basis of the internet. We also see the use of mobile phones and there will be other Uh, devices, no doubt, in in the future. So government agencies more and more will use these various channels and also, by the way, perhaps digital television or even radio as a channel for approaching citizens in order to deliver services. There was widespread support for the development of identity verification, where individuals have one trusted way they can identify themselves, rather than setting up a plethora of different logins and passwords with each of the departments or agencies they deal with. The Ministry of Social Development and the Inland Revenue already have options for voice verification. Welcome to Inland Revenue's Voice ID enrolment line. Please say your IRD number. And the government has spent $58 million in the last 12 years developing the service known up until now as iGovt, which lets people log on to a wide variety of government web services using a single log-on and password. Miriam Lips describes New Zealand's identification verification system as leading the world in the way it's been constructed. The identity verification system developed in this country is not based on the principle of identity, of providing as much information as you need, but it's actually based on the principle of anonymity, so using minimal information. So a citizen doesn't need to provide a lot of information to the New Zealand government in order to verify him or herself. So that's different from other countries where uh, there are identity verification schemes in place where uh, government agencies are trying to get as much information on the citizen. So that's a very privacy-friendly system. The Green MP Gareth Hughes fully supports moves to use technology to make it easier for individuals or businesses to engage with government, but he's equally committed to the need for people to have control over that interaction. It's an opt-in system, not a universal system or one where you have to opt out. Now, of course, the fear is that if it's wildly successful and we see you know, maybe three-quarters of the country using uh, the iGov system to engage with government, it ultimately becomes a universal system and you have to opt out. Now, I wouldn't support that. I think people have the right to choose not to engage with government online if they prefer going to a, a, a storefront or a telephone or talk to a real person, they should be able to do that and not restricted from that. So I think the key principle is it has to always be an opt-in system so the person has control of their data and the way they engage with government. The Electronic Identity Verification Bill is currently before the Government Administration Select Committee and part of the legislation would let private businesses use the iGoft credentials to check people's identity against government records. If that legislation passes, the recently announced proof of identity service, Real Me, would be launched. The publicity headlines the service, powered by government, great for business, and would expand the basic iGoved system to banks and other private sector organisations. It would enable banks to identify customers online and prevent, for example, identity fraud. It would involve both the state-owned enterprise, New Zealand Post, and the Department of Internal Affairs, which would run the verification process. The Deputy Chief Executive of Service Delivery at Internal Affairs, Charles Ronaldson, says that access to the information is controlled by the individual. The information that's used for Real Me is information that Internal Affairs already holds. And I liken it to Internal Affairs almost being a switch. 
because we don't bring that data about you together into one place and store it in a thing called Real Me. What we do is allow access to where we actually hold the data in our births, deaths and marriages or our passports or our citizenship systems. So effectively it passes through a switch, goes and checks the data in its original state and then confirms it back to whoever is wanting to identify you. He says in other countries, such systems have been developed in the private sector rather than by the government. I think that is a reflection that people in New Zealand believe that their data held by government is generally secure and perhaps more secure than what might be held in the private sector. That's an assumption, but that's the subtle difference that we see. Overseas it's being driven by the private sector in New Zealand. Um, it's a partnership between a Crown-owned entity and core government that's looking to deliver it for the public and the private sector. While such developments make the public's dealing with government services more convenient, a survey carried out for the Privacy Commissioner has highlighted an apparent increase in fears about privacy, with 67% worried, an 8% jump from two years ago. The 750 people who were questioned were asked for their opinion shortly after the recent accidental release of private information by ACC, and the survey company feels that will have influence results. But the Commissioner, Marie Schroff, says another question outlines the public's feelings over how their information is used. We asked people whether it was important that government agencies properly protect the information that they give to government, and 92% said that it was very important that government agencies properly protect their information. That's a new question, and it's a very significant level of concern that I think we'll be wanting to get out there to government agencies to make sure that they understand how important it is to preserve their relationship with their clients, that they protect information. 87% of those surveyed also agreed it was extremely important for government agencies to tell them what they were doing with their personal information. And what the government wants to do with the citizens' data is changing. Another piece of legislation making its way through the parliamentary process is the Privacy Information Sharing Bill, which allows the use and disclosure of personal information when there's an imminent threat to the life or health of an individual or the public as a whole. When it was introduced, the Justice Minister, Judith Collins, spoke of information which, if shared, could have saved a child's life. But she also spoke about an aim for greater cooperation between agencies and between them and the private sector. Bill English says the government is moving tentatively towards greater information sharing. The legislation that's going through is intended to try and make the use of the information more straightforward. The challenge is this, people don't live in government departments, they live in communities and families and they have a whole range of interactions. Now the fact that we have random silos within the government about where services come from uh, shouldn't be a big barrier to, uh, to government providing effective services but the privacy legislation focuses very much on the different bits within government and ways that make the flow of information within government pretty problematic. Bill English says the public probably thinks there's more information sharing going on than actually occurs, but he says the government is aware of the need to be careful about confidentiality and privacy. The legislation would allow information sharing agreements to be implemented by an order from the Executive Council, which is made up of Cabinet Ministers. Such agreements are not open to the scrutiny of full Parliament.
Just over a week ago, the Social Development Ministry and Inland Revenue signed an order in council that will come into effect at the end of the month to expand information sharing in a move to crack down on welfare fraud. Bill English is confident the public is happy with a pragmatic approach and told an audience gathered in Wellington to discuss identity management issues that a lot was learnt from the Christchurch earthquake aftermath. We get to harvest some of our own ideas from the experience in Christchurch where as a result of the earthquake uh, people did the things that made sense and have discovered that those are quite often different from the things they were usually doing. Uh, and we intend to harvest those ideas and spread them around the New Zealand public sector as effectively as we can. After the earthquake in Christchurch last year, a special temporary code allowed those dealing with the emergency to share personal information to help victims of the disaster and assist with coordinating and managing the response. A privacy lawyer working in Christchurch, Catherine Dalzell, believes that while that worked extremely well in a time of crisis, she's unsure if it would suit the entire nation in day-to-day life. In an emergency, there are fundamental uh, human needs that need to be established immediately. Housing, food, water, sanitation. So I have no difficulty with information sharing that allows uh, that to happen as quickly as possible. The difficulty is... Uh, if you then increase that uh, sort of wraparound concept and allow information sharing between government agencies where the individual has no participation whatsoever. One of the things that came through from the welfare centres is that as people were leaving, there were discussions by government agencies to help them with those immediate needs. I can see a danger in that going wider into just an ordinary situation where in a paternalistic, um, a benign paternalism, government agency thinks they know best uh, for an individual. A former Australian Privacy Commissioner, Malcolm Crompton, who now runs a company advising government agencies, is less certain about the focus on greater efficiency and better results. Speaking to the same audience as Bill English, he spoke of the need for the citizen to be at the centre of any planning. He also spoke about the complexity of how trust is built. Did you notice that the Minister used the word trust? He didn't unpack it very much. You've got to remember that trustworthiness is something I demonstrate to you. Trust is something you give back to me. I can't demand it. It's your decision. And I think that's something that the Minister understands implicitly, but is something where there's some very hard work to do. And you'll notice how trust changes in certain circumstances. As you heard from the Minister with regard to the, the Christchurch earthquakes, not only did the ground shake and a whole lot of the infrastructure fall over in a physical sense, a whole lot of the emotional infrastructure and family relationships and other kinds of services fell over as well. And in that circumstance, hugely different trust relationships are built. But it is an enormous mistake to assume that the trust relationships that work in that circumstance are actually the new normal. They are specific for a circumstance. So make use of the learnings that have come from a circumstance like that, but don't necessarily assume that that's the way New Zealanders will be wanting to to see information about them swirling around in five years' time unless there is the right trust environment in place. And New Zealanders may be less happy with the amount of information swirling around than those in other countries. Research indicates New Zealanders have a strong sense of privacy, as Professor Murian Lips explains. Privacy is a very slippery concept. It's a social concept and it has a different meaning for different people. 
Um, so here in this country, uh, my observation is that privacy is very strong among the population, particularly because there is no threat to privacy in the sense of terrorism and, and public safety and therefore the need to get access to, to personal information for serving public safety needs in, in this country. And therefore, people and organizations are very committed to, to privacy and very committed to developing structures around privacy values in their service provision and their ways of dealing uh, with, with the general public. The government's chief information officer, Colin MacDonald, acknowledges the tensions between using personal information to enable better services and the protection of individual privacy. He says currently services are protected for privacy but can be clunky because of it and he would like to test the water to see if society's views have changed significantly in the last 20 years since privacy law was first drawn up. If you want your entitlements then you do need to tell government something and if you want the access to the entitlement to be easy then you might have to tell us a bit more. On the other hand if you want us to catch the person next door who you think is committing a serious offence then you can't say it's okay for government to know about him, but I'm not going to tell you anything else about me. So the challenge here, and it is a real challenge, is, is the debate and discussion about how we strike a universal contract that we're all prepared to sign up to. My wish is for an informed debate that examines how New Zealanders feel about the sharing of information in full understanding of the implications, that it will be more difficult for the government to provide the level of services they desire unless it becomes easier for us to appropriately share the basic information about you and your entitlements. The Privacy Commissioner, Marie Schroff, agrees that much has changed in the last two decades, but not the importance of protecting confidential details. Privacy is important to people as it's ever been, but currently the Act doesn't always give people the protection that they expect and need, particularly in the context of modern technology. So. I think what's happened in the last 20 years is that the digital environment has expanded. There is now huge power to collect and use and disclose and share information. All of that has been really happening under the bonnet, out of the sight of, of the, the citizen. A Law Commission report last year recommended updating the Privacy Act to allow for technological changes and to give new powers to the Commissioner, such as issuing compliance notices and demanding information handling audits. Marie Schroff says the information sharing law already before Parliament improves efficiencies for the government, but greater powers of enforcement for the Commissioner are urgently needed. She says a report is due in September on the second part of the Law Commission's recommendations which would help protect citizens' rights. The balancing part needs to come quickly to make sure that the citizen is also empowered to redress wrongs, get problems fixed uh, and to make sure that their, their regulator has the power to monitor agencies and audit them to make sure that they're treating people's information with respect. Labour's justice spokesperson Charles Chevelle believes there will be difficulties in protecting an individual's rights unless the Law Commission's recommendations are brought in. Unless the government agrees to give her all the powers that the Law Commission recommended and unless they agree to all the safeguards in the package that the Law Commission has put up to the Parliament, uh, then we are heading for trouble. They've given this very, very careful consideration uh, when I say they, I mean the Law Commission. They've considered these issues of information sharing between agencies. 
and they've come up with recommendations that balance uh, the requirements for collection of information with the protection of individual information. Uh, and one of the ways that they've done that is by saying that we need to give the Commissioner uh, adequate powers to do her job to police the regime. Now, if the government's going to hesitate uh, about giving those powers over, we are going to be uh, in serious trouble, in my view. The international IT security expert Bruce Schneier says a sense of balance between the huge presence of the state and the isolation of the individual citizen is extremely important to maintain. When you look at privacy, the power imbalance is extraordinarily important. And there's a, a belief in something called a transparent society. And the idea would be that I know your secrets, you know my secrets, so there's less secrecy, but there's still parity. And what that misses is an inherent power imbalances. What privacy does is it increases power. So when you think about the relationship of government individuals, governments have more power over individuals. So increasing privacy in individuals increases the individual power, reduces the power imbalance, and is good for liberty. Right? Similarly, forced openness in government gives them less power, that also reduces the power balance in the government individuals and increases liberty. I mean, we know this is true. Right? You, you think about uh, mutual disclosure. Right? If you uh, go to a doctor and the doctor says, take off your clothes, you really can't say, well, you first, doc. Right? There's a fundamental power imbalance. Similarly, if the policeman asks for your ID, if you can ask for his ID too, it doesn't make it okay. Right, the power imbalance is much more important than the mutual disclosure. The privacy lawyer, Catherine Dalzell, does have worries for individuals and families who are heavily involved with various government agencies. My concern is for individuals uh, that are engaging with a lot of government agencies that they don't have the ability to uh, control their information but they also think they can't control their information that by accessing government agencies they lose all their rights to privacy and that cannot be correct and that is why when we create information sharing uh, agreements and we create some efficiencies around information sharing that the individual is informed of their rights and they understand where their information is going. How do you make that happen? At the coalface, there needs to be good information on the websites. The uh, Privacy Commissioner needs uh, probably some increased funding for their education budgets. Uh, and we need to get information out to community law centres, the uh, coalface uh, frontline staff at IRD, Ministry of Social Development, need to be able to tell people where their information is going and how it's going to be used. It's a fundamental human right. And people should know that when they engage with the government agencies that their information is looked after. One of the biggest individual fears is over how secure their information is, how well it's being protected from accidental release or illegal access. Professor Miriam Lips says the reality is that there will always be some lapses. 100% security doesn't exist. And in every process where there is a human being involved, there is obviously an opportunity to make mistakes, um, to do things differently than expected. So we shouldn't expect uh, government um, to be 100% secure. And that's, the same applies to business and individuals. And therefore we, we should um, manage our, our expectations differently.
However, obviously, there is still um, uh, a very good reason for government to try to meet um, uh, those uh, security objectives as, as best as they can. So there, there should be safeguards in place to try to be as secure as possible and therefore uh, use um, technologies and personal information in secure and privacy-friendly ways. But it's not just a question of hackers trying to extract information from systems or human error, such as the accidental emailing out of client details from ACC. The problems over the safety of data can stretch as far as a complete loss of all information, as has been threatened in the mega-upload case. The so-called cloud storage offered by the file hosting site was shut down, and the US filed an extradition application with New Zealand authorities against its owner, Kim.com, over alleged copyright breaches. The US authorities want files wiped, as many are said to breach copyright. However, negotiations are continuing for individuals who use the site legitimately and want their information returned. As he prepared to speak to an audience about technical developments, the chief executive of Internet NZ, Vikram Kumar, set out what the term cloud computing means. Cloud is basically a, a general term for internet-based storage or online services. Um, it's more and more used when we're talking about potentially data being stored overseas or at least remotely, even though it might be in New Zealand. And it isn't exactly a new concept. Um, we've had people using you know, online email for a long time. We just never called it the cloud. It's the offshore aspect of cloud computing that triggers an alarm. In addition to the mega upload example and its New Zealand connection, there are other cases, such as one involving Canada, where the US Department of Homeland Security took action against a Canadian company operating a gambling site, accusing them of violating a law in the state of Maryland. The Green MP, Gareth Hughes, believes any significant use of cloud storage for government data needs careful contemplation. What we're seeing from various cases, including even Canadian gambling websites, to mega upload is that powers do exist for information to be taken down from the internet from cloud uh, type environments or, or from cloud based servers. So this is a big worry that we could have New Zealand government data or personal data stored on a US based server or a US based website for cloud computing and it comes under the Patriot Act or even copyright legislation to have that access to information removed. So that Patriot Act that you're talking about, that would be demands to be able to access that information in the interests of state security, for example? Yeah, that's right. Under the US Patriot Act, it has broad powers to seize information hosted on American websites, on American servers. So if we did have New Zealand government data hosted there, the big concern, I think, is that we could have our data accessed by the American government under that Patriot Act. Vikram Kumar says the New Zealand industry is developing its own cloud code so that potential clients, either business or government, know what questions to ask, such as is the information being stored here or overseas and who owns the data. The Prime Minister John Key visited Google and Facebook during his trip to meet the American President Barack Obama last July. After those meetings, he said Google might well end up with government contracts, and he spoke of being impressed with their cloud technology. For Professor Lips, there are advantages in at least talking to these companies who already have extensive experience. So talking to Google is, I think, a good thing because it helps us um, to be informed about what the future has to offer 
us. So the prudent way to go would be to extend that exploration, explore all the, the possibilities, and therefore also what existing service providers have to offer, but certainly also what can be done in our own country, and perhaps therefore being one of the first countries in the world adopting cloud computing and, and working with it and, and being a pilot for other governments perhaps. But Vikram Kumar is more cautious. People like Google, uh, for example, are most of their services are set up for individuals. And then you've got the other ones, of course, that are also set up for large enterprises. Government isn't an enterprise, and government isn't a small business or an individual. Uh, the level of risk that the government has to take and the consequences of losing masses of personal information sets government apart. So it's, um, it's a throwaway line to say government should go with Google. It should for low-risk services, but when we get to where the risk is high, um, there's no way that any government should go with um, these offshore big cloud services provider, given the current state of the uh, industry. The privacy lawyer Catherine Dalzell believes it's essential to keep control over government-held data in this country, especially if major overseas firms are involved. I would like uh, to see that New Zealand law can uh, control the way we, we engage with that. So if there is a, a New Zealand-based subsidiary, we need some assurances about data not leaving our shores and we need some assurances about New Zealand laws governing the relationship before we uh, give data to it. The Privacy Commissioner acknowledges the potential for risk with this expanding industry, with information possibly being held in places such as Singapore or Texas. But she's confident that safeguards are being built in. The government is looking at the use of cloud services because obviously there are potentially great efficiencies and cost savings to be had from having information digitally available through an internet terminal rather than storing it in a huge amount of server hardware. They are developing uh, some rules around that and we have been involved in that and are certainly looking forward to making sure that the kinds of standards that we would expect would be observed inside government as well as in the business environment. As the information revolution unfolds, even those very keen to adopt new technologies, such as the Green Party, advocate a balanced approach. Its MP, Gareth Hughes, thinks privacy is becoming more, not less important, and that systems must be designed with privacy in mind. He suggests it could be time to increase some of the penalties associated with privacy breaches. The worst thing I think we could do is just simply throw our hands up in the air and say it's all too difficult, the tide, we can't do anything about it. Because actually it's up to uh, legislators, it's up to corporates, it's up to everyday people to say what their limits are, what their bottom lines are, what they want to see of privacy. If we give it up, we've given it up forever. It may be the age of Facebook and apparent desire by many to reveal all, but Marie Schroff believes that privacy is not dying but alive and well. This is a, a vast human development, the digital revolution, and my view is that priv privacy and other human values will reassert themselves as this revolution advances, and that inevitably we, the people, will take back control because as, as people become more aware of the risks and the implications of sharing information, I'm sure that they're going to demand that control back and they're going to ensure that accountability uh, is, is real and that the government in particular, but businesses as well, have to be held to account and they have to 
have responsible stewardship. Bill English wants a robust discussion about how much information people are happy to share, free of any conspiracy theories. But he has clear ideas about the sort of systems he would like in place in the future. Um, and my view is that openness has to be a feature of them. Uh, that is openness to influence by the consumer and openness of information about what the government has. Now, of course, the tricky bit is to reconcile that with the need for privacy and security. And I don't know if anyone's quite got the answer right. And he says there is still a long way to go. I'm Philippa Tolley, and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or tweet us at rnz underscore insight. The programme was produced by Gail Woods and technical production was by Colette Jansen.